0: There's a better way to do this Let me show you a better way You don't have to be Another face in the crowd
1: Hi folks, this is Jack Spierka with another edition of the Survival Podcast. It's always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough or even if they don't, Coming to you once again from Hot Springs Village, Arkansas, with today episode 712. It's a Thursday, uh, July 28th, 2011. And uh, we're gonna do a Friday show on a Thursday. Why? Because tomorrow I'm gonna have Stuart, Stuart Rhodes from Oath Keepers on the air with me, and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna flip flop those days because we're announcing something kind of cool with Oath Keepers that they needed to put some final little things on a website for. So uh, to give them an extra day to get that stuff done, I'm just flip flop things. So today we're gonna take your calls. So it's gonna be cool. Remember the way you get on a show like this is that you don't do it live because I don't do the show live, but it'll happen about. Th- Three weeks after you call that you'll show up on a Friday show generally. And uh, what you do is you pick your phone up and you mash some numbers. And the numbers that you need to dial are 866-65-THINK. Again, 866 65 T-H-I-N-K, because we encourage people to think for themselves at the Survival Podcast. Anyway, you leave me your call, and if you do that in two minutes or less, and if you get quickly and direct and to the point, and you don't call while running a weed eater or a chainsaw or driving on a motorcycle, and you call from somewhere where your cell phone actually gets good reception, so you sound like, hey, Jack, I want to know, instead of, hey, Jack, uh <laughs> Uh, if you do those things right I'll try to get you on the air Before we get to your calls though Let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors They do a lot to help take care of you Sponsor of the day number one today Is Emergency Essentials You know I believe heavily, heavily, heavily In the mantra of eat what you store And store what you eat I think the majority of the food you store in your home Should be the same food that you eat every day uh, And you'd be happy to go in and pull out of your stores And just throw it on the on the stove or on the grill And just eat Or toss it in a bowl and mix it with some milk and there you got some cereal or what have you but I also got to tell you if you want to store more than 60 days worth of food you do have to start looking at long term storables uh, and one of the best places you can find a huge selection of things like Mountain House, Yoder's uh, providing pantry, all these great sources of this really long-term storable food stuff with 10-year and greater shelf lives is emergency essentials. That's what they're really special in is long-term storage food and they help you be prepared. So where will you find them? You'll find them at BePrepared.com You'll also find a tremendous uh, grouping of resources from them that tells you how to put your household in order. So realize that their site is not just to sell you stuff it's also a great informational resource. You'll find their banner of course and all sponsors banners on the right hand margin at the survivalpodcast dot com, which by the way is the best way to visit our sponsors. That way you know you're dealing with the actual survival podcast sponsor. Uh, next up today, Western Botanicals. If I need something herbal or I need advice on something herbal, Western Botanicals is where I go. If you can think of it, and if it's useful, and it's an herb, and it's legal, then you'll find it at Western Botanicals. Those are about the only limits I can think of. Remember, everything you get there will either be organically grown or wildcrafted. And Dr. Kyle Christensen has put together a great organization, and his goal is to have an herbalist in every home in America. It is not just about putting stuff together and saying, ooh, it's secret, here buy our special secret herbal preparation. They do have things that they've put together. But all the ingredients are clearly posted There's no special patented processes It's just good old fashioned herbals And if you want to know how to do it yourself, you pick the phone up, you call them, and they will help you out with that. Remember also, if you are a member of the Survival Podcast Member Support Brigade, you do get their preferred membership for free. That would normally cost you $50 a year. That one benefit alone pays for the entire cost of the Member Support Brigade. And it gives you 25% off every single thing that they sell every time that you order. How cool is that? Uh, next up, remember to connect with me on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Also, join our forum. We have a lot of really cool stuff going on at the forum. Last but not least, do consider joining the Member Support Brigade. If you do that, you get exclusive content available only to members, and you support the show at 20 cents an episode. Also, law enforcement, military, Peace Corps, prior service, or active duty, I'll qualify for a national service discount. Simply email me before you join, and I will give you the discount code. All right, with that, let's go ahead and take your first call today.
2: Uh hey Jack. Thanks for all you do. This is Logan in Colorado and I was just listening to your episode from six twenty seven eleven. Um I'm right at the part where the um talking about Brazilians and international buyers buying up pieces of land here in America. And here in Colorado, there's a toll road. Part of uh, I think it's I seventy is uh is a toll and um, that's I just about this, it's actually not owned by the state or anybody here in America. They sold it to people from Saudi Arabia. So I don't know if they actually own the road, which toll rights to it. But it's pretty interesting. And then a quick question that I had was, um, how do corporations and LLCs protect you from being sued if you, you know, own like your house through them or something like that? Because can't they just sue? For the house or the corporation for the house. Um, So have a good day. Bye. Well, Logan, it's an unfortunate reality,
1: and it's not just in Colorado. So you guys there have uh, sold out to the Saudis. Uh, Down in Texas, we had a toll road that Rick Perry tried to sell to a Spanish company. I don't remember their name, but it was a company from Spain. And uh, uh, people flipped out. It didn't happen. But now they've actually sold the toll road, which is not even a toll road. It's going to become a toll road of a piece that, that's over on the Fort Worth side, northern Tarrant County. They sold that to that Spanish company. They got away with it on that one instead of the North Texas Toll Association uh, running it. So uh, Texas is doing it. Col- uh, you know, uh, Colorado's doing it. I know several other states that have done it. Uh, and they, they're basically privatizing the toll roads, which – I don't really have a problem with the toll road being privatized. I think a private company will probably do a better job of maintaining and upkeeping them because they have to make those roads profitable, so when you pay money, you have to have a really pleasant experience where the state doesn't have to make a profit. They're really good at not making a profit. So the privatization of a toll road, if it's going to have a toll, and I don't think all the roads should be tolls and all the roads should be private, but if there's going to be a road that's going to be a toll road, I'd actually prefer that it be run by private enterprise. But since it's an American road and American uh, soil built in some way, shape, or form with taxpayer money and I don't care what you say, that road's built with my money, your money, everybody else's money, and we're the ones that pay to drive on it, then it should be owned by an American company because we shouldn't have a foreign nation owning one of our frickin' roads. I'm sorry. No, we don't get to do that. Uh, but, of course, there's no law against it, so that happens. Um, it's It's a symptom of the bigger problem, though. You have to ask yourself, why would... Why would the state of Texas give away something as profitable as a freaking toll road? I mean, you think about running a toll road. Well, they have to maintain their infrastructure anyway. And everybody that drives, so they don't even have a toll booth anymore, right? If you want to drive on a toll road, there's two ways to do it. You get a toll tag, and then you get a little RFID chip in there, and it charges your account. Uh, or they have now these cameras to take a picture of your license plate and mail you a bill for more money if you didn't have a toll tag. So you have to pay a higher rate if you didn't have a toll tag. And pretty much most of the toll booths in Texas, all the ones I'm familiar with, are gone. They just have this system that and you if you're from out of town and you don't even realize you're on a toll road, tough crap, you'll get a, a bill in the mail uh, based on your license plate. And uh, you better pay it. They get kind of nasty if you don't. So. Um, why would, yeah, so again, the deeper symptom, why would someone give away a profit center like that? Because it's a long-term revenue stream and they're screwed and they need money now. This is why the states are doing this. The way it works is, the state will look at this road and, and they usually do lease the toll rights. They don't actually sell the toll road. This, the, the, the nation leasing it doesn't own the road. They have to maintain it. And and in charge for, it, and they'll get a twenty year, a thirty year, a forty year lease. So Texas might say, well, over forty years, this road with the traffic patterns on it should generate, you know, forty billion dollars, whatever it is, fifty million dollars, whatever the number is, it doesn't even matter. Let's say it's a little tiny road with one person a day on it. It's going to generate ten grand to make the numbers make sense to you and me. So it's going to be a ten thousand dollar asset um, for the next ten years. So a hundred thousand dollars in total. All right. So the state of texas says we could sit on this and make $100,000 over the next 10 years uh less our expenses and let's say the expenses of maintaining the road paying the expenses all the stuff together is going to be 40% of the total or 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 4,000 or $40,000 so they're going to end up with 60 grand at the end of 10 years is in total profit and $40,000 in expenses. So it's worth $60,000 in the mind of the state of Texas. So what they say to a company from Spain or Florida, or they don't care who buys it. They just want the highest bidder. Okay, we project this to be worth sixty grand. If you can make it worth more because you can be more efficient than us, fine. But we say it's worth at least $60,000 over the next 10 years. Um, obviously, if that's what it's worth, that's not what you're going to pay because you have to make a profit too. We want money now. We'll start the bidding at $30,000. Now, really, this is like $30 billion and they can make $30 billion in profit or whatever. But again, let the numbers go because that's going to depend on how long the road is, how much traffic's on it, what state's doing it all, all how, what a toll is there right now. That's going to change the number. But basically, what it's saying is I'll take half the money today instead of all the money over the long term. Now, When a state's doing that, it's kind of like a payday loan for the state, right? The state knows it's going to collect taxes. It knows it's going to collect tolls. But it's exceeded its operating budget, and it needs to balance the books, especially if the governor wants to run for president someday. He wants to leave behind a state and go, look, my books are balanced. No, they're not, clown. They're really not. You took a lump sum payment on a long-term annuity and used it for short-term expenses, that's what they're doing, and it makes the nation vulnerable. and this is what I said, this credit crisis uh, and this, this, this debt crisis, people don't understand the real vulnerabilities it's creating. I, I talked to the one Logan mentioned was Brazilians coming and buying up cheap property in, in, in Miami. We're losing our nation. Right, And this isn't protectionism that I'm, I'm talking here. When you are weak and other people are, are strong, especially financially, they use that financial strength to help you by buying stuff from you. But in the end, you end up with some money that you get by with, and they end up with the asset. And it, it's happening with toll It's happening with condominiums. It's happening all over America right now. This is why I said in 2008... Get your money, protect your money, preserve your money, because the nation was going to go on sale. Unfortunately, a lot of people from outside the nation followed that advice, while a lot of people inside the nation did not. Uh, on your second co- question about having a corporation or an LLC or something like that, how does it protect your home? It doesn't. It, it really doesn't. And owning it, owning your home with your corporation, uh, that you're doing business with on a front side basis would be a bad idea. Okay. The way that you can get some protection, and it's not 100% protection. Some protection is you own your home and you do business through a corporation and if you do something stupid in your business, they have to sue your corporation and your corporation acts as a layer between you and your personal assets. Where if you do business as just a sole proprietorship, for instance, um, you are your business. Therefore, your house is an asset of the business. Therefore, it's, it's easier to sue you for the underlying value of the asset. So, by having the corporation, you don't fully protect the asset, you put another layer in between it. The smart way to do things if you want to do asset protection is as many layers as possible and look as broke as possible as you can. So instead of owning my, you know, TSP, Inc., uh, and having um, my house as part of that corporation, that's a very bad idea because that actually makes my home exposed uh, both for personal liability reasons on some levels because I own the corporation, therefore I represent the corporation. So there's there's some issue there. Um, and it's in the business, so now it's a business asset. So if the business does something stupid, uh, especially if I have employees and things like that, or if somebody targets my company for whatever reason, because they're like, I don't know, the Southern Poverty Law Center, or somebody else that I hate and hates me. Um, then, you know, I, I've got the asset in the business, and therefore it's subject to anything that, you know, bankruptcy or legal action with the, that has to do with the company. If I want to do this smart, what I do is I set up two corporations. One is simply a property holding corporation. And in that property holding corporation, I own my home. And then I have another corporation where I operate my business. Now I've got multiple layers, right? And if I really wanted to be slick, I might set an asset holding corporation up, and I might set a subcorp underneath that, and I'm gonna hold my property with that. Now I've got. Now it's very. Now you've got to go through the the business, through the person, through the 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 holding corp, and down to the subcorp. It's a complex structure, and it's designed to protect significant assets. Um, For most people, it's not that. Big of a concern if you have a huge mortgage on your home, you know tell them they can have the keys and the payment that goes with it you know uh, and it 's actually really hard to sue a person for their house it 's difficult in most situations. You have had to do something very, very wrong, but if you 're running a business, businesses can get into really hot water, and if you 're running a business, it makes sense to 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 really put as many layers in there as you can. Um, I'll tell you what, there's a great book out by Donald Trump uh, on asset protection. I'll see if I can find a link to it and give it to you today. And it describes this in, in great detail. Let's go ahead and take another call.
3: Hey, Jack. This is uh, Aaron. Um, got a question for you. Not really survival-related, but more business-related. What do you think of Glenn Beck giving up his TV show and going into the new alternate media Uh, He's sticking with his radio show, but he's going into, you know, subscription on the Internet, downloading things, videos from the Internet, Um, sort of the reverse of what most people do. They go from radio to TV and stay there, and he's kind of doing the opposite. Just uh, what do you think of that as far as a business decision? How do you think he's going to do and all that? All right. Thanks a
2: lot. Love the show. Bye.
1: I think it's brilliant, personally. Um, I've had some conventional media opportunities come up, believe it at that. And, uh, so far, I have to give up too much of my freedom to say what I think and do what I think and do things my way and ownership uh, of certain things. And I just don't think it's worth it. I, I prefer the freedom. I prefer the fact that if I want to get up at 5 a.m. today and cut my show really early and be done at, at, at 10 a.m. today with a five-hour workday, I can if I want to... Stumble in here at 8 o'clock and, you know, do what I get. And Beck's not going to do things that way because he's still got his radio show and he's doing a much bigger thing with a much larger enterprise. But um, there is a certain amount of freedom, and it's not just about your working conditions. It's also about what you do, what you create, and not giving a damn who you piss off. I you mean, to think about this. Beck got all kinds of grief because some sponsors didn't want to sponsor his show anymore. Now he's still one of the top, he was still one of the top-rated television shows out there in his time slot. Definitely in his niche. Tons of people still willing to throw money at him to be a sponsor. So it, it, let me put it to you this way: If you have like five thousand potential sponsors and Four thousand nine hundred say because of what you talk about, I'm not going to be your sponsor. And one hundred are left, and you have room for about twenty in a one-hour show on TV at the most. You shouldn't give a shit, and the station shouldn't give a shit, really. I mean, you just should. It's just stupid to care. Uh, but but in the TV world, oh boy, we got to all have all this politics and crap and bullshit. Where if you're a private business person, I don't care who I offend. I don't care. If you're offended by me, fine. Go find something else to listen to. Honestly, I hope you can get over it because I'm going to offend every single person that listens to this show sooner or later. If you listen to me long enough, I'm going to say something you don't like at some point. Um, but that's my business and I get to, I get to run it that way. And, and Beck can now run his business that way. I also think that you have to understand why TV's been the king. Up till now, TV's been the king up till now because it's been the most important screen. It's been the screen that tells people the most information, that's relied on most for information, and is the most accessible way to get information. That is changing. The screen is now the computer screen and the smartphone screen and the tablet screen. So... TV is going to try to skin that cat and figure out how to do all this stuff. And They have all this production equipment and all this stuff, but what the problem is is TV wants to go on the Internet and behave like they're still on TV. Well, you're not. You don't, see, you don't get the monopoly. Even when you say, well, you know, there's, you get cable or dish, you got 200 channels. It's still a monopoly. There's still so many hurdles to entry. And if you want news, there's only a handful of stations. If you want, uh, you know, tabloid style entertainment, there's a handful of stations and a handful of crap that you can pick from. When you're on the internet, a little guy like Jack Spirico can come up there and play in the big leagues and say, you know what? I don't think you're doing it right. I'm going to do it completely different. My production quality sucks. I'm doing this thing in my car with a headset, and I can still dominate a niche. And so you have to ask yourself, if somebody with my limited resources can do that. What well, can a guy like Glenn Beck do over the next 10 years? And here's the reality. This is a transitional shift that's happening right now. The Internet has opened up a world that is largely unregulated, and, it will be very, and they want to. But it would be very hard to stuff that genie back in the bottle. And because it's on demand and because it's not broadcast to you, you have to go get it. Um, that gives us certain protections. And even if they ever really try to, to, to come in and regulate and say, well, it's easily accessible to anybody, Jack, fine, I'll charge you a dollar a year to listen at that point. And I would only do that if I'm not planning on doing it. I would only do that if the government did. So now you have to go. That's a way around a regulation, and that's why he's starting out with a subscription style service. And you know he has a a, a, the like number two radio show in America to market it with. It's brilliant. It's exactly what I would do. But I think that you're going to see more and more things coming online with people using this medium to get their message out. More and more shows, uh, more and more podcasts, more and more uh, video-centric uh, shows. You name it, it's going to be there. And that's why Google's so gone expensive. Uh, or got so, so, so daggone successful because they are the people that are enabling all the gold miners, right? Because they have YouTube and they have the search engine and now they're putting in a Google Plus and that way the people that are out there actually building these empires are utilizing their services to do so. That's why Facebook is so successful. they doing the same thing. Twitter, uh, all of these companies that are successful in this new age are the enablers. Just my thoughts. Good question. Let's take another one.
3: Hey, Jack, this is John from West Virginia. Me and Olivia, Olivia's my dog,
2: we're sitting on my porch thinking, do you think uh, old railroad ties, I'm thinking at least 15-year-old railroad ties,
1: would be good for a raised garden.
2: Uh, just, you know, I've sit for a long time, so just don't know what you think. Appreciate it. Thank you. First of all, John,
1: someday you and I are going to sit down, maybe with your dog Olivia, and you and I are going to have a couple beers, and we're just going to chew the, the, the fat as a couple country boys, because I, I have got to meet you, man. I really do. On your question, um, you could do it. Um, there, these, you know, when you look at railroad ties, they've just literally been saturated in creosote. And I don't care if it's 15 years, uh, the day you know all the creosote's gone is when they start to rot. I'll put it to you that way. And until then, they're going to leach creosote. Now, at that age, they're not leaching it heavily and quickly. But personally, um, if you, I had a choice between using railroad ties for a raised bed garden for food I was going to eat. Uh, or making my raised beds freestanding and having nothing but except a raised, you know, just a freestanding raised bed, I would go freestanding before I would use railroad ties. That's that's me personally. If you did it and I came to your house and you had some lettuce thrown in there and chopped it up and threw it together a salad, and we sat down over a cold beer and a salad and some and maybe some grilled corn and uh, hopefully a steak or something like that, uh, I wouldn't for a second not be willing to eat it. Um, I would just concern myself with the long term effects of it uh, on your soil uh, with the slow leaching process, but it it is something you could do, and i don 't think you 're risking you know your health seriously or anything like that. I just don't think it's probably the best use of it if I was going to do it, I would use it more for something like typical landscaping uh, with some of your plantings that aren't really for 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 general consumption, and I would probably do it downgrade from your from your vegetable garden um, but that's probably me being a little more sensitive to the issue than I need to be. Uh, and I'll admit that. Uh, I just think that there's so many things out there that we could, you know, grow food in that doing it with something that was laden with Chris, so it's probably not the best way to do it. Uh, there's a lot of other good things you can do with them, uh, other than that. But again, I would refuse to eat the food out of it. I just wouldn't make the choice personally. Now, let's go ahead and take another
2: call. Hey, Jack, just wanted to give you a product testimonial. I bought the Shelf Reliance Harvester 72. Uh, put it together in a snap, and uh thing's fantastic, totally customizable, flexible, uh, stores all my number pens, my small cans, even down to the tuna cans, if you adjust the shelves correctly. Uh, anyway, it's a great product, and uh, thanks for getting me uh, uh, hooked up with them uh, through your podcast. Thanks wish Stu. Bye.
1: I always love hearing when somebody in the audience does business with somebody that sponsors the show and it worked out well for everybody. They got a new happy customer and you got a great product that you love. So thanks for sharing that. I do want to mention that I think people do look at that product. And if you look at that product online, the the Harvest uh, series of of storage shelves, it's easy to look at that and go, man, that's not the, the most efficient design that I've ever seen. There's... All kinds of space in there. And I, I don't think people that look at it that way understand how much food one of these things hold. It took us for freaking ever to get our, our, our harvest full. And, uh, it's, it, it is an amazing, amazing amount of food. I, I was actually a little bit concerned for, uh, the flooring where we had it and wondered if maybe I need to go underneath the house and put in some supporting joists, uh, just on the amount of weight the dad gone thing must be holding. Um, it really is a great product. There's a review I did of their pantry, uh, storage rack. The little one, little plastic one that just goes like, you know, in a pantry or a cupboard or something like that. And I filled it up. And then in the video, I take all of the stuff out of it. When you look at the pile of food that sits in this little bitty thing, you start to realize the efficient nature of the way they store it. It's the same way that food is stored to a large degree when you go to uh, grocery stores and they have the canned distribution systems. That they, they look very, very similar. That tells you there's efficiencies there. But great product. And uh, if I remember, too, when I get done with today's show, I'll put a link to, the, uh, to my reviews of those two products. Uh, but glad to hear from a listener who had a good experience with a sponsor. Thank Thank you let's take another call
3: hi jack uh, this is joe from indiana i uh, want to tell you great show hey i was just wondering uh, if you could give me some information on uh, traveling on airlines with a checked handgun uh, what to look forward to as far as the uh, uh, security checks and uh, uh, what's required of the airlines to, to have a pistol in your uh, checked baggage uh, thank you very much You're Doing a great job
1: Well, believe it or not, uh, it's one of the few places where it's not really a big deal that it's a handgun or or a long gun. Uh, Transporting a firearm on an aircraft is uh, relatively easy to do within the United States. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put a link out today. I'm gonna tell you, you need to look at it and you need to make sure you do everything in it when you, uh, when you do it and follow all of the things because if you don't do it, you can be fined up to $10,000 if the TSA wants to be a bunch of jerks. And they tend to try to be jerks whenever they can. But it basically needs to be declared. It must be, uh, unloaded. It has to be in a hard side container. The container must be locked. Um, It is going to be inspected. Uh, There are certain rules for the way that the ammunition must be stored and it must be stored in things such as cardboard, wood, or metal boxes or other packaging that is specifically designed to carry small amounts of ammunition. Uh, You may not use firearm magazines and clips for packing ammunition unless they are completely and securely enclosed the ammunition. Uh, by securely covering the exposed portions of the magazine or by superior, uh, securely placing the magazine in a pouch, holder, holster, or lanyard. So if you had a Glock with your two magazines loaded up with ammo in a locked little handgun case and those two magazines were sitting in there loaded with ammunition and the, the project, you know, your, your, your cartridges were exposed to the top, that would be a no-go. And depending on how big a dick they wanted to be, they could make a big deal out of it. Um, so, you know, put your ammo in boxes that are designed to hold ammo, and and, and that's really a much better way to do things. Um, but, you know, if you just use the boxes they can't come in, that's fine, um, what have you, but it needs to be secure. Uh, so there's no problems. I mean, you go in, you declare, and they they will inspect it, uh, you you know, relock it, and then they check your baggage and you pick it up uh, at security on the other side, just like you pick up the rest of your baggage. And it's just no big deal, uh, unless, unless you're traveling to a state that has some kind of stupid law about the way... Your handgun must be stored and transported. And so you need to make sure that you're familiar with the local laws of the place you're going. But getting on a plane and getting off a plane and picking up your, your gun after transport... Uh, is no more difficult than doing it with your baggage, which means they could lose it because they lose stuff. They're probably less likely to lose a gun than they are your clothes, though. So uh, It's just not a big issue. I know a lot of people really struggle with it and really worry about it, and uh, I've done it many times, and it's not a problem. There's times where it's just not worth it. Uh, when we went to New York City... Uh, I, it wasn't worth it to me to break the law and risk to go to jail and subject to their stupid laws to bring my 45 and carry in the city. Um, I could have done it. Uh, nobody at the airport would have, would have been waiting for me when I got there. Um, but there, you know, the minute that I, I uh, removed it from its slot case, loaded it, and put it on my body, I would have been violating local law. Uh, given we were pretty much going to New York City and coming back, and there was no reciprocity for my concealed carry permit there, I just decided it wasn't worth taking. But going anywhere else, it's really not a big deal. All right, let's go ahead and take another one of your calls today.
2: Hi, Jack, this is Mike in Denver. I uh, love your show. I just wanted to uh, get your thoughts on uh, prepping for a shit hit your fan situation by uh, maybe adding 5 to $10 a month to your monthly bill so that
1: you can have, say, a, a month of uh, of. Uh, breathing room so that you don't have to pay your bills where you know you, there's death in the family there's a uh, job layoff and now you don't have to worry about paying your bills for uh up to two months all right thanks jack have a good one well i wouldn't say you're wrong and i wouldn't fault you for it and if you, that's the way you want to run your finances i, I don't have a problem with it it's a you know, if you look at your light bill and stuff like that, it's not a huge amount of money that you're doing this with when you look at interest rates and what it could be doing for you in a bank account. Uh, but that is how I look at it. They have my money and I don't. They get my money when it's due, and, and that, that's the way that it's going to be. Um, as far as paying bills and stuff, if you want to make it really easy, you can set up online bill paying, and uh, you can automate some portions of it with fixed expenses or, or, or expenses that are reasonably the same. I would prefer to take the, the whatever you're going to allocate to do this with and it, either set up a small secondary bank account with it for it as an emergency bank account or get a flipping mason jar and shove five to ten bucks in there every time you would be adding it to your bills. Here's why. You don't know when the shit hits your fan which way it's going to hit your fan. You just don't and you don't know where you're going to need that money most, and maybe what you really need this month isn't to pay the light bill, because uh, in most states anyway, you got to not pay that bill for at least 60 days before they shut you off. Uh, I'm not saying it's a good idea, but I'm saying you might get into a situation where you've got two decisions to make, and you got to make one over the other. So if I have the money, I get to make that decision. If I already sent the money, I'm not going to be able to send them an an email and go, Dear Electric Company, I know I overpaid my bill, um, and I know my next bill's due, but I'd like my money back, and I'd like you to let me be 30 days late on it. They're they're not going to send you the money back. So you increase your flexibility by holding the capital rather than let them hold the capital for you. But uh, with certain bills especially, though, I, I can understand why you might want to do it. Now, with the death of the family thing, um, I actually feel this way about that. When you lose someone you care about, it is very easy to go into a dark hole. It is very easy to just kind of close up. And I think that that's a huge mistake. I think that there's a grieving process that we have to go through. But within a few days, even if we're still sad, even if we're still crying, even if we still can't believe it happened, Things like paying the bills, going to the grocery store, taking a walk, going out to the garden, uh, going to the gym, whatever it is that we normally do in our lives, we have to do them even if we're faking it at first. So I, I, I think that actually it could, I know it sounds weird, but I think it could hurt you that for two months if you've lost your spouse or a child, you don't have to do anything. You can just sit there because the danger is that you will, that you will just sit there. And I think doing these routine things... Uh, help us get past the grieving process. I remember last year when my friend Hal passed away, um, the best thing in the world that his wife Jojo did was like she was a body pump instructor at the gym and had all kinds of things in their social life with friends. She didn't close off from her social circles. She didn't stop teaching the extra class at the gym. She didn't stop taking her daughter out to the cheerleading practices. She, you know, and, and she was broken. The day that we had our memorial when I hugged her, she was, I could literally feel that she was Emotionally and physically broken, but she kept doing these things, and she's you know gone on with her life and didn't fall into that dark hole because she kept doing something. And I think it's so important that we do. So I'd rather have the cash, and then I'll get figure out what to do with it. Now, if you know something's coming, like a surgery or something like that, and you want to you know basically prepay the bills so that you can get through that, that to me makes a little bit more sense. Just my thoughts, but again. I wouldn't fault you for doing it. I just kind of feel differently about it. Let's take another call.
2: Hey, Jack.
3: This is Ben up in Indianapolis. I was wondering if you could help me out with a gardening question. I'm growing some sunflowers, and I started them in late February. They're about six feet tall now, but none of them have a flower head on them. Is there something that I might be doing wrong? Do you think they're not getting enough light? Uh, This is the first time I've tried to grow sunflowers, and... So I don't know if this is normal or not. Thanks for
1: your help. Bye-bye. I mean, I'd have to see a picture to know for sure, but I think you probably just planted something like mammoth sunflower that grows you know eight ten twelve feet tall and they're just not forming yet as what it sounds like to me you probably got great big giant leaves and it's probably almost there It just like doesn't really look like a flower yet it's like a little bundle of leaves in the center if there's like nothing there like if there's if the center doesn't look like a a a, even if it's a you know budding leaves coming out of the center if it just looks like a a flat stalk you got a problem and i i don 't know what that is from if that 's your case. I have seen that happen, but i 've never seen it happen to lots of sunflowers i 've planted you know twenty thirty big mammoth sunflowers and just had one that didn 't have a flower on it so it 's possible if it is i don 't know what would cause that, but my guess is just because you 've never actually watched one grow before and you 've planted a very large variety, it just hasn 't set yet but one thing I would advise you to do is right now, while they're about six feet tall, go out and get you some good pole bean seeds and uh, plant some pole beans around them. And You've got an automatic trellis there, and uh, you get more use out of that space. And This time of year, with it being that hot, uh, the beans will uh, really appreciate the, some of the extra shade provided. If they get a little bit too much shade, there's no harm in cutting off some of the lower leaves of the sunflower. Just leave a little bit of a stalk to help your uh, beans have more to trellis on as they go up. Uh, easy one. Let's take another one.
3: Hey, Jack. This is Adam from, I'm going to say, everywhere because I'm in the military and we move around a lot. Uh, my family and I just went through a huge move to, for me to go to another school that I've been lucky enough for, the uh, Air Force 72. And we're going to be moving again here in about 90 days, about a six-month school. And we don't know where we're going to be going, uh, anywhere from uh, back here in Texas to, to Europe. My question for you is, if you you're going to be somebody who's moving around a lot and since you just went through a move. Have you found ways to prep even though you're not able to do stuff like permaculture? or We're trying to do small gardens, um, but we kind of find ourselves limited to a lot of stuff because of weight requirements for the moves. We have done lots of research on what we want for a homestead after I retire and we quit, quit moving, but we find ourselves limited on certain resources such as lots of food storage and, uh, and other preps. I'd like to hear your ideas on things that we can do in the meantime, um, but uh, so far all we're able to do is just tons and tons of research and, uh, and sock that away for later. Looking to hear an answer from you. Talk to you later. Hey, Jack, this is Adam again. And I did want to add that uh, we're also paying down the debt for your advice, snowballing it, uh, as you suggested. Um, and uh, we're also doing uh, things like homeschooling our kids. But uh, like I said before, we're uh, we're we're pretty limited on uh, on other stuff. Um, so as as far as just getting our household in order, all of our paperwork and our, and our debt, uh, we really can't think of anything else to do unless it's uh, really a small garden. Like I said, uh, just kind of seeing what you got to say on it, and I want to add just a few couple things, okay? But.
1: Well, I played the follow-up call because I was going to say make sure you're paying down your debt and you're getting your documentation in order uh, and everybody has a plan. So uh, since you said it, I don't have to and uh, I don't have to elaborate on it. Um, but I would say this: Does everybody have a bug out bag? Uh, you know, and does does everybody familiar? You know, mom, dad, the kids with you know getting back together. Have you prepared your family for what they need to do if there's a disaster or a major world event and they are dealing with it and you're dealing with it too in a different way because the Air Force has done said, you go here. And you know how it works in the military. When you're told you go here, well, you go there. Um, so making sure that they are able to deal with any kind of localized or large scale disaster that encompasses the area that they live in when you're not available would be something you really need to look at. I talk about gardening an awful lot, but gardening is a piece of prepping. It's not all of prepping, and it's really about the long-term uh quality of life that it provides and the food sovereignty that it provides. So don't feel bad that you can't do it. And you can do some simple stuff with, you know, small containers or uh, little bitty gardens wherever you happen to land, and hopefully, you know, you'll land in a place for six months or more where you can get something out of it. Um, You know, bad gardens like I did recently, it's... uh it's really a good idea to, to do stuff like that if you're trying to do anything because you don't have to dig, you don't have to prep. You know, when you're done, uh, and you leave and you gotta go, you pretty much throw the bag away and, and rake the dirt level flat on the grass and it's gonna actually grow really good there because it's good quality soil. So, those are some things you can do there. On food, you know, it would make sense for you guys to store maybe 30 days in your situation and to do very expedient, easy to cook, easy to store, store where you eat, eat where you store things. I wouldn't really invest a lot in long-term storable foods uh, in your situation because you have, you know, whole baggage and they only transport so much and sometimes you're doing international moves and uh, it's it's a tough situation to be in. The good news is you're in the one segment of society that's going to be the best looked after in a crisis. You're going to be fed. Uh, you're going to be the last people to not get paid. Don't let anything that they ever tell you from you know, if the debt ceiling, uh, we might not be able to pay our soldiers and all people of Social Security. Uh, get off of the stupid political theater. Uh, you're looking at a week or two at most before you know the the, uh, the funds will come back. If you ain't getting paid, no one's getting paid. So um, I do think you should keep the debt down. Save. Of some money, be prepared for the unexpected, but uh, your paycheck is as guaranteed as a paycheck can be. Um, you're guaranteed that you're going to get fed, uh, and you probably are being provided with housing, so uh, that helps a lot. So utilize, I would say this is a big thing, utilize um, the the advantages that do come with being in the military right now very very heavily live as frugally as possible so that when you are looking for that homestead you can really afford to do what you want to do when you, when you get done with your service let me also say thank you so much for your service uh, I I think this is one of uh, the the most difficult times in history to be serving uh in any branch of the military it's not the the trench warfare of world war 1 or the uh, island hopping of world war 2 but it's a very uncertain and, and 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 very unstable period of time uh with conflicts that have been going on longer than just about any that America's ever experienced Re- you know realize America went entered world war 1 or world war 2 in uh in, in 1941 and and it was done with it by 1945 um, and we're still we're still fighting this this thing and uh it's 2011 and this whole mess uh, of course started in 2001 that's 10 years it's a decade of war uh so thank you for your service uh, I do understand the unique challenges you have. Just try to make sure everybody's prepared, knows what to do in a disaster. Do have some food redundancy in the household. Uh, when you garden, do things that are easy to kind of to, to make go away when you leave. A lot of times with housing that you get in the military, uh, it has to be the way it was when you got there when you leave. So make sure it's easy for you guys to do that. And again, thank you for your service. Let's take another call. Oh, wait, I wanted to add something there about what you need to make sure you guys are doing. Focus on skills and how to think. Um, And I think this is important for everybody, and I I almost forgot to say it to you. I was thinking of it while you were asking the question. But if you focus on the skill side of things and how to think and how to improvise, um, that that's that's with you wherever you go, and that's good for people that are traveling and all different types of things. And you know, with a small little pocket full of EDC and the right mindset and the right concept of adaptability, understanding that everything around you in a disaster becomes a resource when your life depends on it. You know, I'm not going to worry about hurting somebody's feeling because I yank a glass door off to to, to do something with it or uh, use something like a you know a desk for uh, building shelter or a, a mattress for creating insulation. So focus on the skill set and the, and the mentality side of things for disasters because that's your Swiss Army knife. That's that's really the thing that you carry everywhere and makes you able to survive any situation unless you're taken out immediately. Anything short of you got shot in the head with a bullet, it, it's your adaptability and in, in, in your ability to improvise uh, that's going to get you through. Uh, so there's a little addendum to that one. Now we'll take the next call.
0: Hey, Jack. Jason
3: from PA here. Well, my first year of gardening is becoming, like, overgrown with weeds. I mean, it's, like, impossible to keep up with weeding it because it had so much grass to begin with. Um, you know, everyone's, like, mulch it, and I'm, like, I don't, I can't afford to buy, like, a ton of mulch to do the gardening. And I'm uh, just trying to get some input. I, you know, tried grass clippings, but I don't get enough grass clippings for it. That's even when I got my mower running. So uh, any advice you can on how to keep the weeds down, I've put boards down in certain areas to control it, but uh, that doesn't help as much with the rows. I try to put cardboard with rocks on it. It still blows away. So any input you got to help would be much appreciated. Thanks, Jack.
1: Well, on the mulch, I, I wouldn't be buying mulch if you can't afford it at all. I mean, but and you do have maybe to start thinking for your future about this, uh, for your mulch from now on. Uh, in the fall, uh, all your neighbors will give you free bags of mulch. It'll be really easy. You'll just go drive around your neighborhood, and there'll be all these great big... Giant, really heavily stuffed bags, and you'll be able to tell what kind of what's in them because of the way they'll look, and and they'll be full of leaves, and you can go pick all of those up and throw them in the back of your vehicle and take them home and store them somewhere. And now you have mulch. And if you want it to be nicely, you know, chopped up mulch, you can, you know, take a few uh, a few bags at a time and throw them on the ground and run your lawnmower over that, and then you'll have finely chopped mulch, and you can store that somewhere where it'll stay dry because you don't want it to compost, and you can store. Delivering a ton of it for free, so there's your mulch. So uh, you know that's that's going to work better than grass clippings. Grass clippings will tend to kind of mat together if you use them by themselves, especially chopped up grass. You're better off with long grass like straw for mulch. The other problem is with the grass clippings is you may be making your problem worse. Um odds are that unless your your grass clippings are coming from a perfectly manicured lawn, there's lots of weeds in that lawn. And then you're taking the weed seeds and then you're putting the grass clippings on and you're adding weed seeds to the garden and there's your problem. Um, additionally, the big reason that mulch helps is it does suppress the weed growth to a degree, but it also keeps the soil nice and light and fluffy and, and moist so that when there are weeds there, you can pull them out. I mean that's that's the big thing that mulch does. The thing about my garden that I had in Texas was that weeds grew. But uh, if I saw a weed, I could just walk up and grab it, and even a big a dandelion root or whatever, it just just kind of like it's like pulling a carrot out of sawdust, man. It just come right out. So it made it easier to weed. Realize that weeds are part of your garden. You are going to have to deal with them some. Uh, but mulching and or laying down cardboard, which you've been trying, is probably the best way to control it. Um, I would tell you that what you might want to try is cardboard with mulch, and you're talking about it blowing away and all. I also think that if that's the case, um you've got some wind issues, that's probably adding weed seeds, so can you maybe create some wind breaks or something like that? It would be something I'd more have to see uh, to uh to give you some ideas of where you're going wrong there, but you are going to have weeds in your garden. I mean, that's all there is to it. You're going to have to pull them. And understand that if you get your plants up to a good size and there's some weeds growing underneath them, it ain't that big a deal. It's not that big of a problem. What you do want to do is keep an eye on your weeds, and as they get to a point where they're going to flower and go to seed and make more of themselves, then you really want to make sure you're getting rid of them then. Uh, But otherwise, one of the big things we need to do to improve our soil is what? We need to constantly add organic matter to our soil. We want leaves, we want mulch, we want wood chips, we want, just as, and as much variety and diversity as we can. So you got the weeds in your garden and they're growing free organic soil amendments for you and their roots are going down there and opening up fast carbon pathways for other plants to grow. So they're not as big a problem as you might think. And I know that part of the problem for people is they go out to their garden they see a weed and it disrupts the nice uniform appearance of the garden. Okay, weeds can actually be quite beautiful. So unless they're actually harming or choking out your plants, don't really get upset with the fact that there's weeds there. Weeds exist for a reason. They exist to repair soil, uh, and they come in at different times. If you go look at a, a natural native pasture uh, that's been like you know destroyed, and if you just leave it alone and you watch it repair itself – as it repairs itself, you'll find different species coming into prominence and then in decline. So sometimes we have a weed in our garden and we're really upset about it and it's Doing something that our garden actually needs. It might have that big deep tap root, like comfrey or dandelion. And it might be going way down there, and we might have a mineral deficiency in our soil, but the subsoil has that mineral, so it's going to go down there and it's going to get that mineral and it's going to pull it up and it's going to go into its leaves and help it grow. So if it's a if it, this is weird, but if it's a if it's a a weed that's high in a certain mineral. Uh, it actually probably means that that mineral's deficient in your topsoil. But it's in your subsoil because it's an efficient miner of that mineral. So if you use that as organic matter, now it's bringing the minerals up, it's bringing its things up, and it's sharing them with your garden. So don't go to war with weeds. But if they get out of hand, if they're choking out your plants, you do have to pull, rake, hoe, suppress, and do what you can uh, to control them. Uh, the other problem might be that did you put really really great soil on top of existing Bermuda grass? The Bermuda grass is the is the really tough one to deal with. So if it's Bermuda grass, you've got your hands full with it, and it may take you know two layers of cardboard and six inches of mulch and kill it. Uh, now another thing you could try, um, this would have to be before or after your your plantings, is you take a great big sheet of clear plastic. And you pull it over your bed completely. In this, you know, when it's, you can't do this in winter, right? It's gotta be in the summer when the sun's out. And completely seal it off. Put dirt on it, put rocks on it, whatever. And basically create a heat chamber, right? And if you've got clear plastic holding in, uh, all the heat that's coming down on that bed. And I don't mean really high, I mean almost stretched tight across the bed. And leave that for about three weeks in the summer sun, and it will burn, scald, destroy anything within the first few inches of that soil. It'll be like taking your raised bed and stick it in your oven at 150 degrees, uh, you know, for for a week or two, and it will, you know, there's still some stuff deep enough that will maybe survive and come back. But if you have a really bad infestation, it's a it's a kind of a nuclear option to kind of terminate everything that's up there to burn it down. Burn its roots, burn its seed, burn everything. And if you follow that up with some chickens, you'd really be in good shape. So there you go. It may not be as bad a problem as you think. If it is that bad of a problem, you're going to have to suppress with mulch. And if you can't afford mulch, go look for leaves, not grass clippings. For mulch, grass clippings are probably making the problem worse And even worse than that, if they're being acquired from somebody whose lawn is being sprayed with chemicals, you're putting the same herbicides and chemicals into your garden that are going into the lawn. So it could be bad one way because there's lots of weed seeds. It could be a bad the other way because it's bringing chemicals. And if they come from two different sources, you could be doing both. That's why I don't like grass clippings unless I know their source. Anyway, let's take another call.
2: Hey, Jack, this is Neat from the uh, forum and a long-time listener, first-time caller. Uh, my question is, I've been thinking about EDC and uh, concealed carry and all those things, and I'm wondering how we can avoid looking like Batman in his utility belt uh, when we're carrying around, you know, a pistol and a mag and uh, 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 pepper spray and, and knife and lighter and all those other things everybody carries for EDC. So just wonder what your thoughts were on that. Thanks for all you do. Bye.
1: Well, let's start out with a concealed carry, a handgun, and let's say maybe a a second magazine for it. Shouldn't even be an issue because you're going to carry concealed, so you shouldn't be looking like Batman by having your gun visible because that's considered brandishing in most states that only allow concealed carry. If you have an open carry state, it's different. Uh, but in most concealed carry states, if the outline of the weapon is visible, it's considered brandishing, even if you didn't intend it. Because what happens is you're having a conversation with the store clerk at 7-Eleven that says, you didn't give me enough change, and that's all you want. He sees the outline of a firearm, starts freaking out, thinks you're going to shoot him. So as a concealed carry holder, you are required to make sure that you are indeed carrying concealed. So I'll leave the gun out of this question. On the basic ED stu- EDC stuff, I'm grabbing my keychain. Uh, right now off of my desk. On my keychain is a little fob made out of paracord. There's about 30 feet, no, I'd say, yeah, about 25 to 30 feet of paracord, uh, there. Uh, that means I have cordage. So that's one of my, you know, as Dave Canterbury calls them, one of my, you know, my five C's, right? So there's my cordage. Uh, since it's parachute cord, not paracord, but parachute cord, I could take it apart and I could get nine little strands of additional cordage out of it. Each one very, very strong. So that would be, you know, the cordage. Uh, on my keychain there's also a little TSP bottle opener that's important so I can open bottles of stuff and there's a little canister of um, cold steel Inferno uh, pepper spray and about once every six months sometimes I go a little longer I take it off, I throw it away and I spend four to five bucks on a new one to make sure if I ever need it it's ready to go I do not have a knife on it now because I've gone to carrying this wonderful neck knife that my friend Patrick made for me that I needed to do a review for you guys and get onto YouTube as soon as possible. Just haven't been able to do it uh, this week. Uh, so I'm carrying a neck knife. So a, a small, compact, high-quality neck knife. Uh, I've got my cutting tool. So I've got a security device in the pepper spray, even if I was in a place where I can't carry the gun. Uh, I've got the knife on my neck. I've got the cordage. Um, I also carry a small ferrule rod that takes up no more space uh, than the keys on my keychain. So I've got an awful lot there without really looking like Batman. For making sure I have light, uh, because if you're going to carry any kind of weapon at all that you might use in the dark, you need to carry a light. I have a Streamlight Stylus Pro, uh, and it's no different than carrying a ballpoint pen in my pocket. tucks in with its little clip. And uh, the only difference between it and a pen is it won't leak into my pants. So with that, I've got, you know, I've got combustion, I've got cordage. Uh, what I don't have is any type of container, but in an urban, suburban, small town, any kind of situation other than out in the wilderness where I would be carrying additional pack, there are just Everything's a container. There's billions of containers uh, that I can improvise. And you got to have, you know, Dave says cover is his big thing. Uh, c- c- you have to have a way to create a shelter for yourself. Well, uh, there's plenty of things I could improvise for cover if that were necessary. So basically with that little bit of EDC, I've got plenty of things that I could do. Now, I also carry, and this might be a little Batman lookish. I've got my TSP um, uh, S- uh, Swiss Army Trekker. And I just picked up one of the little um what do you call it, the uh sheets made out of what do you call it stuff? I don't know why it went out of my brain there for a second, kydex. Uh now I could easily just take this little trekker and drop that in my pocket. Now I've got two cutting tools uh for different different reasons, but I've also got kind of the additional things that are available to me with the Swiss Army knife, uh including screwdrivers, toothpicks, uh things that could be improvised lock picks if they had to be. Uh, and I can make a lot of things using that knife so even with that I've been carrying the sheath just to see how it carries because uh, when we put something new in the store I personally tested and it, it carries just fine and unless you're worried about the visibility it's really not in the way it doesn't weigh a lot so you know that kind of adds another layer now in my wallet I have one of those little credit card side survival tools that has additional cutting and different things that it can do. And that takes up no space, no real weight. And then I have a nice little uh, titanium lock pick set. Uh, so if I'm uh, locked out of my own property or if someone's in danger and needs to be uh, extricated, I can get that person out. you got to be careful with the picks because there's certain states where you can't even carry them. Uh, and, it, and there's certain states where if you're carrying them and you're committing a crime, which you shouldn't be doing anyway, but you're committing a crime uh, that has nothing to do with them, it's still now a, a, an offense because the, you had the possession while in the commission of uh, a, a crime. So you got to be careful with the lockpick thing. But I don't have that issue here. I, I can carry lockpicks, and I think they make a very smart piece of EDC. So uh, if you, if I walked up to you right now and you were looking at me. I'm pretty well equipped from an EDC standpoint. Maybe I should go ahead. I did a show with Ron on EDC, but it didn't. It was the last time Ron Hood was on, on TSP and, and we didn't get into maybe some things like this. But maybe what I should do is put together another show on EDC and go through all of the things that I carry and have carried, what's worked, what hasn't. But again, the big things, making sure, and I, that's why I love Dave because he simplifies stuff. You have a cutting tool. If you have a cutting tool, that's your number one thing and you can improvise almost anything else you need. Uh, with that. Cordage is huge, and while you can improvise it, it's so much better if you already have it. So carrying at least a fob of paracord is a good idea. I've actually started looking at carrying some tart line as my cordage. It takes up a lot less space. And I don't know if you've ever, if you've made the bracelets or made the key fobs out of paracord, you can put an awful lot into a small space, but if you've ever taken one apart, it's quite time consuming. So it's kind of, that's the emergency backup if all else fails cordage. But additionally, carrying some tarred line, you can wrap down around a night sheet. You can carry a little bundle of that in your pocket, what have you. Uh, It does so many things. So the cutting tool and the cordage allow so many other things to be improvised. If you're going into the woods, that's beyond EDC. You got if you have the if you got to have a container at that point because if you ever need to, to purify boil water um, it, there's all some you might be able to find something to do it with out there but you also may not be so you've got to carry a container that can handle fire you've got to have a combustion device so uh, ferro rod or something like that but nothing beats a little bick lighter so uh, I, I'm not carrying it now but another thing that I have been carrying on my keychain but then the keychain starts to get a little bit big if you do too much you get a, a mini bick. And you wrap it with paracord, and you make it into a little key fob, and you put that on there. And then I've got I've got sure flame, uh, because just the ferro rod in some situations may not work. Uh, you could also maybe add, and I, I've got bought some I haven't done it yet. These little pill canisters, and you can put some sure burning tinder in in one of those on a keychain. Then you've really got all the bases covered. I'll go deeper into this in a show. Maybe I'll get a show out next week on EDC. I got a lot of interviews coming up, so it may be the following week. But it's a show that I've not done uh... and and i really need to do so great question hopefully that helps you out but I just hope you can understand how you can carry a very small amount of EDC and, uh, and, and do an awful lot with it without looking like Batman, without being weighed down. I, I will admit, you know, if I take my shorts off at the end of the day and I've got my, my SOE tactical belt on it and all, they, they weigh more probably than the average person's stuff. But I, I think that once you adapt to the little bit of extra weight you're carrying, you, you don't even notice it anymore. Uh, with that, this has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough. Or even if they don't.
0: It's in our food these days You know it's on our TVs Sometimes we forget We are what we eat I don't know the answer It's like there's nothing I could do It's the price we pay I guess we follow Someday we'll realize our children just can't pay. There's nobody up there.